What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to episode 605, No Guest. We are going to be reading surveys uh, filled out anonymously by uh, listeners, which uh, for those of you that are regular listeners of the show, you know that that's a big part of the show. And every once in a while, I uh, just feel like reading a lot of surveys. And so that's what we're going to do. I like how I'm acting as if you're attacking me. (laughs) And anybody who is uh, playing this has immediately taken exception to my decision. To not have uh, an interview. This is from, I, by the way, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is uh, the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about everything. Battling in our skulls, bouncing around. Um, let's dive into some surveys. This is, this is just an excerpt from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Zena, the warrior feminist. And to, to the question, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to and why, she, she writes, I'm in love with a very good friend of mine. He's kind of the one that got away. We hooked up a few times and the timing never quite worked out. Now that we're mid-30s and he's single and sees me in my ninth year of marriage, he's made comments now and then alluding to the fact that he missed out and has regrets. Just knowing that he feels that way about me really messed me up for a while and I couldn't shake it. One day, it hit me like a fucking brick wall. I love him. I love him? I can't love him. I'm married. But I love him. I want him to come over while my husband is at work and throw me against the wall and fuck me like he's never had me before. I want him to tell me he loves me and to cry in my arms about how we screwed up and should have known what a good thing we had, then lost it. Then I want to be able to tell him to fuck off because how dare he come to my house and tell me this. I need to take control of the feeling somehow. In my fantasy, I fuck him and discard him. I'm sure it's because deep down that's how I feel and it's about damn time someone does it to him. What, if anything, do you wish for? The ability to budget. (laughs) I just love the contrast between those two things. One could not be any less materialistic and more human. And then the other one, I wish I could budget better. Thank you for that. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by um, a woman who calls herself overthinking how to breathe. And uh, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself 
Some things my head is filled with. What makes me feel right? Cutting off my tits and calling myself by a different name, being the center of attention while also being invisible, being the most fuckable thing in the room, making a joke and having everyone understand. These are my primary complaints. One, I don't feel at home in my body. And two, I don't feel at home in my life. Oh, and three, I'm too exhausted to change any of this. Do they have self-help books for lazy depressives? Am I the villain in other people's lives? I wish there was a way to turn my brain off and get shit done. I'm tired of being sad, emotional, and simultaneously emotionless. And also so, so self-centered. Actually, maybe I'm not self-centered, but I don't have a grasp on my own reality anymore anyways. I drink coffee, I smoke weed, and that is the only time I feel relief. When I'm so separated from the inside of my head, I get a millisecond of silence from detaching. I think a lot of people really relate to um, what you write about um, the you know, quote-unquote lazy depressives. Oh, it is just... It, it is, we can intellectually understand that we're not to blame for not getting shit done, but there's a part of us that's like, no, you're not depressed, you're really just lazy. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Closeted Artist. Um, she identifies as gay. She's in her 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. She's never been sexually abused, but she's uh, been emotionally abused. Uh, She writes, "Um, I'm worried that the specifics could be identifying if someone I know is listening. Let's just say I was raised by a family of deeply selfish people. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Suicide is sort of out of the picture right right now. My depression is no longer dire, and I found an amazing support system of people who have helped me so much that I can't let them down. But I feel deep down that I am supposed to die, so I became obsessed with martyrdom. I get sort of a high watching Lord of the Rings and imagining that Frodo and Sam destroy the ring but die in the end. I want that. I want the glory. And then I want to die. And no one would be upset with me because it would be for a good purpose. You know, I often wonder when you see suicide bombers, I often wonder how much of it is their their belief in their cause and how much of it is them not wanting to live anymore. Darkest Secrets. Gracie, we going to pipe down? She's very political. You mentioned, you mentioned the Middle East. Oh, you better pour her a beer. Darkest Secrets, when I was having a mixed episode, I have bipolar, I would go into the bathroom at night and stick safety pins through my nipples. I was so fucking depressed, but I had the manic energy that wanted to see how far I could push myself over the edge into utter insanity. I did a lot of body mutilations that I don't think I can bring myself to write here. I took pictures of everything I did, too. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm gay and have no interest in having sex with men, but I get off on fantasies of being degraded by men. It disgusts me and makes me feel gross. 
What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my dad to go fuck himself, but at this point, it's not practical. I love I love practicality being, uh, being brought into it. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? This is even harder to write about than the other things. I want to be an artist uh, so much it hurts. I haven't been doing art or making progress towards any of my goals because, because I've spent the last four years trying to keep my head above water. Have you shared these things with others? The secrets, yes, but I usually leave out details because people get really upset. How do you feel after writing these things down? Afraid of being found out. A little shaky, a little glad. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Damn, you're pretty fucked up. You're still lovable and you deserve nice things in life. Uh, thank you for sharing that, um, especially the stuff that, that might have been difficult for you to, to share. And um, you know, regarding the wanting to, to make art, um, I'm not sure. Uh, it sounds like it's a, a lack of time in your schedule that is keeping you from doing the art that you want to do. If crazy, seriously, if it's uh, if it's something other than that, if it's a creative blockage or fear of starting it, uh, there's a great book called The Artist's Way, which can really help um, people that want to make art and not necessarily just painting, whatever your creative expression is. Uh, the Artist's Way. It's a great book. And it's actually a workbook. Um, this is from the Fear Survey. This is filled out by Cash, who identifies as non-binary. Uh, they write, uh, as in, I wish I was a man, but I'm still not a trans man, if that makes any fucking sense. It does make sense. Um, I fear that this new happiness, this new feeling of being alive, that this no longer being depressed is just mania. That's because that's what my therapist said. I have literally never felt anything close to happiness, but I felt amazing this past week, and she suggested I see a psychiatrist because I sound manic. This makes me very sad. I finally felt like a real human, not a shell of one. That is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking, and I think that's why those of us who experience mania or hypomania, um, the latter I've experienced, it, it's, like, it's like your dream come true. And we don't want to look at the thousands of dollars we're ringing up in credit card bills or you know whatever it is that our mania is doing or starting ridiculously ambitious product, uh, projects that we'll never finish. Um, yeah, there can be definitely, or uh, being really promiscuous, you know, things outside of our moral compass. Anyway, thank you for filling that out. This is from the Love Survey. This is filled out by Candy, and she writes, I love the very early morning hours after my husband leaves for work, and I lie in bed listening to podcasts while I drift off for a few more hours of blissful sleep with the cat sleeping on my pillow and the dog snoring peacefully on the bed beside me. I love seeing my daughter do amazing things like run half marathons and solo camping and hiking. She rocks. I love driving late at night on a road trip when I see hardly any cars and the stars are bright and the music is jamming. 
I love seeing my husband beam with parental pride and love when both his grown kids call him on the same day. Oh, those are beautiful. That must be an amazing feeling, having having a child and feeling pride. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine how fearful, I, I suppose because I'm a fearful person to begin with, um, the thought of having children, uh, I... I I just, it, I think I would be constantly worried about their safety. And that must be so hard to let go and let them in, individuate, as uh, therapists call it. Let them make their mistakes and feel the pain and all the stuff that they need to do to grow up. That must be really hard as a parent. This is uh, from the Ask Paul Anything survey. And, uh, this person, they're agender, and they call themselves uh, Cursed Amulet that I refuse to take off because it looks great with my outfit. Love it. Uh, and they say, what do you do on days that you just wake up feeling gross? Uh, P.S. I've been dealing with intrusive thoughts about my shitty ex more often these days, and your trademark response, I cast you to hell, has been an excellent way to ward off these with a giggle. Um. I usually stay in bed when I wake up and I'm feeling gross. Um, I don't know if gross is the right word for, for what I feel. Um, no, that's, that, that, no, that can be. Um, today I woke up at noon. I went to bed about four or five. Uh, I woke up at noon and prayed, meditated, um, had some cold brew coffee, got jacked up worked on the podcast for about an hour and then went back to bed. Even though I wasn't even remotely tired, I was just, I was exhausted by anxiety um, uh, and just kind of an unknown dread that I'm not doing life right. Even though I intellectually know that's not true. So I guess my answer, and, and I could have showered, but I didn't feel like shower. I felt kind of oily. <laughs> my hair was all crazy. And uh, yeah, I, I usually go back to bed and I try not to beat myself up about it, but it's hard. It's hard. I think so many societies equate productivity with value as a human being. Um, you know, maybe we need to look at our moral compass when we're judging ourselves and say, you know, am I being a good person? Forget about productivity. Am I sticking to my morals and my ethics? Am I making the world just a tiny bit better today or at the very least not making it worse by walking around like a selfish asshole? Anyway, I hope that answers your question. And if it doesn't, I don't cast you to hell. I cast you to a tastefully furnished apartment with a terrific view of the park. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Pom Pom. And uh, I love this about her depression. She writes, having to seem enthusiastic and chipper in professional settings feels so fake shitty when what I really want to say is life is hard and I'm tired. Aren't you? 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. They have been a sponsor for many years, and I've been using them for many years. And um, my my sponsor, my therapist, Heidi, uh, I talk to her every couple of weeks, and um, she helps keep me on track. She helps keep my, my brain healthy. Um, I mean, among other things, I also do support groups, as many regular listeners know, but brain health is really, really important. I mean, shit, our brain runs everything in our body, and uh, why wouldn't you want to have it in tip-top shape? Uh, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And you guys, the listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com mental. That's betterhelp.com slash mental. And make sure you include the slash mental part so that uh, they know you came from the podcast. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Fuck My Life. I think I've met you. Um, he identifies as a male and then uh, actually he identifies as other and uh, he writes, uh, but I always wanted to play with dolls as a kid. Um, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? I'm a piece of shit that doesn't deserve to live. Now go drink some water so you can live. <laughs> I kind of love that. Oh, this is so sweet. Any comments to make the podcast better? Keep it going. This is maybe the most consistent thing in my life through the years. Lots of support from this. It feels like a hug. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, you guys, um, on the surveys, a lot of you will will often write really nice things uh, under the any comments to make the podcast better question. And I often don't read those because it feels uh, self-indulgent. Read them out loud on the podcast because it feels self-indulgent. But um, I just want you to know that I do read those and they do mean a lot to me. Uh, even the ones where there's constructive criticism, I, I appreciate that you take the time to uh, to share that.
This is a voice in your head survey, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself, read this in a frantic voice. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? That it wasn't right for me to treat my garden for a bug infestation because technically it's murder. I used insecticidal soap and it will kill the squash bugs all over my summer squash. Some were small, so I assumed they were just babies. It's too late because I already treated the plants and I can't take it back. The bugs were killing my garden and that's just their nature. They can't help it. What's my excuse for taking the lives of so many bugs? I'm a baby bug killer and now I will face karmic retribution. I thought about masturbating tonight, but I guess that's off the table now because I'm afraid I'll be smacked down by some invisible force of universal justice and have a heart attack when I start getting close. Maybe I'll clean my apartment for two hours. Things will be safe again and I forget about the bugs I killed. Now that my chores are done, I'm feeling tired, but I can't forget to all my usual spots before I go to bed in case there's a man hiding in my tiny apartment somewhere waiting to murder me. Why not check the same closet a few times? I'm definitely ripe for murdering tonight because of my own garden killing spree. Maybe I deserve it. Maybe I should keep seeing my therapist. Are those bugs going to die slow? There's definitely a man under my bed. <sighs> this is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself hopefully, hopefully my kids don't take this survey one day. She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s. She says that she was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, She was the victim of sexual abuse, and one time she reported it, and another time she didn't report it. She writes, when I was around 15, my older stepbrother fondled me. He tried to have sex with me, but I said no. He didn't bring it up again. I've never told anyone. I was raped by a friend's boyfriend and his friend. I reported it. They both went to jail, and then they were released about 10 months after sentencing. It was a two-year-long process. The detective said if I had been 17 instead of just freshly 18, it wouldn't have taken so long. Damn it for birthdays. I don't dwell on it, but I think I've shoved it down into a deep corner somewhere and try to forget it happened. I'm so sorry that happened. And I can't imagine the people that prosecute um, how emotionally and mentally taxing that must be to go through that. Oh, my God. Uh, She's been emotionally abused. Not sure, uh, she says, if she's been physically abused. She writes, my children's father is a narcissistic douchebag asshole. Uh, So he's a triple threat. Uh, He used to scream at me for everything. I have PTSD and depression because of it. It's kind of sad. I think of people who did noble things, like go to war, that have PTSD, not some young unwed mother whose boyfriend screamed at her every day because a sock was on the floor. I left him after seven years. I was a very cold, demeaning person at the end, but I suppose a shit person can turn you into a shit person. I kicked my current boyfriend in the balls once after a night of very heavy blackout drinking. He smacked me in the face. He was very apologetic, and although I think it was wrong, I did touch him first. It probably smacked uh, some sense of personal space into me. Uh, He's never been violent before or after that incident, and he actually started going to therapy after it happened. Any positive experiences with abusers? Many. He gave me two beautiful kids. If you look past the cheating, lying, screaming, so much screaming, drinking, and general hatred for one human being, he wasn't so bad. I think you two need to get back together. Um, and and uh, I understand you wanting to, to minimize your, your PTSD. Please don't. Please don't, said the pot to the kettle. Uh, darkest thoughts. I wish... Uh, that I could 
murder someone and hide them perfectly, never be caught, and go on with my life without feeling a single bit of regret. At least I could before I had kids. Now I can't squish a bug on my own. (laughs) Darkest Secrets. I kissed both of my younger brothers when we were all in our early teens. I thought it was normal uh, because that's what my stepbrother did. I have used sex to my advantage. I lost my virginity at 13 to a boy who was shorter than me. Uh, It still haunts me. I've been fucking strangers ever since. It's like my thing. I've cheated on every partner I've had except my current one. I feel good about not cheating on him. I don't even have the urge to. I guess Ludacris was wrong. You can turn a hoe into a housewife. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Having sex sober. My current partner is the only person I've ever really loved. I just don't love my body enough to feel comfortable in it sober. What a lame fantasy. I don't think that's a lame fantasy. I think that's fucking awesome and beautiful. And I hope that uh, it can come true for you. I know a lot of people who had never uh, had sex as adults sober. Uh, until they got sober or you know if they were performers performed on stage without alcohol or drugs to to relax them but um, I don't know anybody who got sober that says uh, yeah I preferred it when I was fucked up what if anything we like to say to someone you haven't been able to to my dad go fuck yourself why He's divorcing my stepmom. He says she is selfish and doesn't love him, when in reality he doesn't work, doesn't help around the house, and he leeches off of her. He doesn't want me to talk to her anymore. I try to not get involved, but he's basically asking me to pick a parent, which is so fucked up. And then she writes, Aw, mommy said the F word. What if anything do you wish for? For my stepmom to know how much I appreciate her. Motherly instinct instincts kicked in with that one she truly is my mom and guides me so much thank you for sharing that and um i really love when i see uh somebody form a bond with a with a step parent because uh, so often uh, you know you think it's going to be that cliche shit show um the step parent step kid relationship but i know so many people who um have amazing relationships with uh, their stepkids or their stepparents. And I don't know. I just love it. This is from the Spheres survey. And I'm going to throw a little music under this one. She uh, put together quite a nice list of fears. And uh, I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll showcase that little song that I've been working on. Um, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Single Daddy 420. And she writes... I'm afraid that if I tell my partner that there are photos of me being sexually abused as a kid, the level of trauma I've been through will be too much for him and he will need to leave the relationship for his own health. I'm afraid that I will downplay my trauma too much and find out way too late that he doesn't have what it takes to be there for me. I'm afraid that I will get a moth stuck in my hair. I'm afraid that all of my hair will fall out from stress. I'll be afraid to go outside, and I'll get so fucking paranoid that I will start to believe that if I leave the house, I will be pecked to death by birds. Then, 
my world will continuously feel smaller and smaller as my paranoia builds until I'm afraid to leave the closet and need to eat the drywall to survive. So then I'll be rocking back and forth, bald and alone, with nothing to comfort myself and no hope for the future. I'm afraid that I'm never going to have an orgasm without also having memories of being raped bubbling under my skin. I'm afraid that I will take my ex to court and I'll lose. I'm afraid that nobody will believe me and that I will be the only one who suffers instead of him. I'm afraid he's abusing his new girlfriend. I'm afraid that he isn't doing anything to her and he only abused me because I am flawed or bad in some way, like he saw something in me that needed to be hurt or punished. I'm afraid that I will never stop having destructive, obsessive thoughts about my traumas. I'm afraid that my infrequent migraines will progressively get worse and I will start needing to spend hours or days in bed. I'm afraid I'll be incontinent before I'm 40. I'm afraid that the spike dildo I'm ordering won't have the right amount of firmness and it will either be so squashy that the spikes are pointless or so stiff that I would have been better off fucking a cactus. I'm afraid that I will get seriously injured and then be unable to get inside my house because there are a fuckload of stairs and it's not accessible to folks in wheelchairs. I'm also afraid that I'm a shitty, ignorant person because I bought a house that isn't accessible to people with physical disabilities and making it more accessible isn't one of my priorities. I'm afraid I will self-harm by cutting inside of my vagina again, but I will go too far and then my pussy will look or feel so fucked up that nobody will ever want me again. I'm afraid that taking care of my house will slowly bankrupt me or that something will be wrong with my house and I won't be able to fix it or sell it. I'm afraid that my mom and stepdad will forget to put me in their will, not intentionally exclude me, just straight up forget about me, like emotional neglect from beyond the grave. I'm afraid that my siblings will be as fucked up as I am when they get older and they will resent me for distancing myself from the family and leaving them behind. I'm afraid that I will never feel I have a family, biological or not, that loves me and wants me around. I'm afraid that I will fall down and up escalator. <laughs> fantastic. I'm afraid that I'm draining, draining the life from those around me and that no amount of professional help or working on myself will get me to the point where I'm a healthy person to be around. I'm afraid that I will see animal cruelty and be powerless to do anything to stop it. I'm afraid that my partner is abusive or unhealthy in some way, and I'm unable to see it. I don't think this is the case, but in my last relationship, I didn't see the abuse until years after I left. So I'm terrified that my judgment can't be trusted. I'm wrong again, and I'm going to spend more of my life being treated like shit while thinking I'm being loved. I'm afraid I won't be able to get my meds adjusted correctly and will end up having a bad mood episode where I destroy the life I've built and really embarrass myself or die. I'm afraid that I will get strip searched, assaulted, or raped if I go to the psych ward for help. I'm afraid that I will get pregnant, be unable to tolerate waiting for an abortion, will stab myself in the uterus to deal with the feelings of disgust, and and then have to deal with whatever happens when you stab yourself. Clean up, death, whatever. I'm afraid that everyone who hears that will have a feeling of, well, at least you can get an abortion. Sorry to hear your life is so difficult, Mrs. Massachusetts. I'm afraid I will bite into an apple and see half a worm. I'm afraid that I will not gain better balance as I age and will end up breaking my hip at 80 by tripping over absolutely nothing. 
I'm afraid that I'm a bad pet owner and that the things I think are good for my animals are actually not or that they need something from me that they can't communicate. I'm afraid that my lizards will have an outbreak of fatal parasites that will kill them and force me to throw out everything cool I've ever made for them. I'm afraid that someone I know will accidentally find child porn of me, like a Polaroid of me spreading my legs as a five-year-old will fall out of a library book or something. And I'm afraid that it will get back to my family, who will scream at me for not speaking up when I was being abused. Oh, that is so heavy. I'm afraid someone in my family already saw those images when my abuser died, and they cleared out his house, and they made the decision not to help me. I'm afraid of squishy, imperfect fruit. I don't trust it. I'm afraid that I will go through the effort of healing my trauma only to discover years later that none of it ever happened and it was all in my mind. I'm afraid that I will never stop telling myself it wasn't that bad and questioning if any of it was real. I'm afraid of that sick, sinking feeling in my stomach that comes up when I talk about the hard stuff. I'm afraid that I'm going to puke on my therapist's carpet. I'm afraid that I will somehow obtain the images that were taken of me as a kid, feel compelled to hold on to them, and then get arrested for possession of child porn and be labeled as a sex offender for the rest of my life. I'm afraid of everything awful that is happening to the environment. I'm afraid that when I die, the universe will force me to face everything bad I've ever done. Like, I will be forced to float in an ocean of dying sea creatures on a vessel made of every single use plastic I ever used and every piece of recycling I have ever put in a trash bin. Or I will be eaten piece by piece by the ghost of every animal I've ever eaten. I'm afraid that I will run over an animal with my lawnmower. I'm afraid that I will never feel as sexually desirable and special as I felt when I was being groomed. I'm afraid that I'm not as smart as I think I am and that everyone else notices. I'm afraid that I will lose access to clean water. I'm afraid that I will start getting my period again. I haven't gotten one in 10 years because of my IUD and am now accustomed to this lifestyle. I'm afraid that I will spend the rest of my life surviving and will never get to have peace. I'm afraid that my partner's family will like me less as they learn more about me. I'm afraid that I will never be able to take good care of my body because of every fucked up thing that has happened to it. And then it will just fucking fall apart at the seams as I age and no efforts I make to improve my physical health will do any good. I'm afraid that I will be fat forever, that the world will stay as ignorant about weight issues as it currently is, and I will feel forced to choose between accepting a body that others actively hate and returning to disordered eating. I'm afraid I'll try to kill myself again and will realize that I've made a mistake when it's too late to turn back. I'm afraid that I'm never going to make healthy human connections. I'm afraid that someone will break into my house and then I will lose the tiny sliver of a sense of safety that I feel when I'm at home. I'm afraid I will impulsively try inhaling computer duster to get high and it will kill me and then I'll be remembered for dying on an embarrassing drug. I sniffed that one time, by the way, uh, or huffed it. I'm afraid that my partner will die. I'm afraid I will never be strong enough to make my life my own and will forever be a little enmeshed with my narcissistic mom. 
I'm afraid my partner is going to be traumatized from having a relationship with me, like all of my trauma will infect him and anyone else I try to get close to. I feel like I don't deserve to be around other people until I've, quote, fixed, unquote, everything that is broken and volatile. I'm afraid of people being weird about my self-harm scars, like I'm afraid some person will tell me something I perceive as condescending, like that I've won the battle or that I'm still beautiful and I will start shaking, twitching, and crying from rage instead of being able to explain why that isn't cool. I'm afraid someone will say that me walking around with my self-harm scars out in the open is triggering them, and I won't have the energy to discuss it in a calm, respectful manner, and will instead flip out and genuinely hurt them emotionally. I'm afraid that this is somehow the peak of my life. I'm afraid my bisexuality is fake, like it's a trait I chose to have because I want to seem more sexually appealing to men. I'm afraid that someone will catch me sucking my thumb, and I'm afraid that they won't have compassion and it will freak them out, or worse, it'll turn them on and they'll use it to sexualize me. I'm afraid someone will post photos of my corpse or autopsy online, either for people to laugh at, jerk off to, or both. I'm also afraid that someone will fuck my corpse or jerk off into my organs during autopsy, like I won't be free from the gross men until my bones decay. And finally, I'm afraid I won't be able to find a decent psychiatrist that I can afford. That, my friend, is some Hall of Fame fucking fear purging. Thank you so much for that. Man... Man, I imagine a lot of other people listening feel like you are a family member. Um, That was dark and beautiful and fucked up and life-affirming all at the same time. Thank you for that. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Stoked to be Dirt. And uh, about her PTSD, she writes, In my brain, I have the world's worst time machine. Did you smell that guy's cologne as he walked past? Smells eerily familiar. Let's relive the greatest hits of times we were molested by a guy who smelled kind of like that. Oh, you're trying to get some grocery shopping done? Too bad. It's now 2010, and the physical and mental pain you feel is real and happening right now about her dissociating. You know when you have a song stuck in your head like so badly that you can't hold a thought because you get sucked into singing the words? It's like that. Except instead of one song, it's 12. And instead of a song, it's parts of myself screaming over and over at each other. Things like, I hate you. Did you leave the stove on? Suck a dick, bitch. What's for lunch? What are we supposed to be doing again? Fuck you. Snapshot from her life. The worst part of my CPTSD, BPD, and DDNOS is that I not only have to get over and process my past traumas that made this this way, but now because of my brain's defense mechanisms and how it processes things, little things that shouldn't be traumatic, now are. If anything even resembles something from my past, my brain and body will be transported there and the current situation will feel like the old one. That is horrifying. 
And by the way, um, uh, CPTSD, for those of you that don't know, is complex uh, uh, PTSD. BPD is um, borderline personality disorder, and DDNOS is dissociative. Uh, oh, I guess that wouldn't be. Uh, DID is disso- dissociative identity disorder. I'm not sure what DDNOS. The NOS stands for not otherwise specified. Um, anyway, moving on. Thank you for that, by the way. This is a happy moment filled out by XXXTina, and uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing that, but her happy moment, she writes, when I stopped to talk to an 80-ish year old lady I didn't know, and her best friend, her dog, on the sidewalk, and she told me she had scoliosis, I told her I've had arthritis since I was 11, and we laughed, and she said, well, that's how it goes, and I said, it might rain soon, we better get our old bones home before we melt. I love that. I love that. My, uh, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, I have a rheumatoid arthritis. I was diagnosed about, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And it has started f- causing pain when I play guitar. And I'm trying to be okay with the idea that I n- might reach a point where I can't play the guitar anymore because they are the, the, hand that frets on the guitar the the fingers are starting to get curvy and enlarge the knuckles one of the knuckles is getting big on the pinky and it's uh it's 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 kind of bumming me out but the two things that i take out of it is i as i say to myself okay what are the positives in this it might lead me to learning to play more slide guitar or some other way to express myself. Um, and in the meantime, I will appreciate the ability to play the guitar while I can. And who knows, maybe I'll be able to play it the rest of my life. But um, it's, it's scary seeing your, your body um, kind of start to do its own thing. What do you call it when your fingers start to get uh, a little crooked? This is from the Shame and Secret survey. This is filled up by a woman who calls herself stuck in the past. Um, She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, She was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Um, she was, she writes, I was repeatedly molested by an uncle from six to 11. Um, when I was 11, I told him to stop and he did, though he would still sit close to me and pat my thigh all the time. When I was 12, I told my school, other than his family no longer going to family events, nothing happened. I recently found out my mother told the police she didn't want me to testify or do anything to help put him away. And instead she would quote, trust it to God. While she believed me, she didn't support me at all and buried it. And even when I was cutting and suicidal, she never got me help and told me I needed to choose to be happy. I honestly feel more anger and betrayal towards her than my uncle. Uh, She's never been physically abused. She has been emotionally abused. She writes, I suppose some of the things my mother would say to me could amount to emotional abuse. She always criticized my weight. Even when I was a very young child, she'd tell me, you just need to lose your stomach and shit like that. 
Positive experiences with the abusers. Yes, he was always the fun uncle. He was attentive. He listened. We did fun things together. It makes me feel fucked up to remember that because even though I can logically reason that it was grooming and I was only a small child, I'm still mad at myself for being close to him. Darkest thoughts. I've fantasized about sex with my uncle. It gets me off and I feel terrible every time. Darkest secrets. When I was 13 and in the depth of my depression, I ostracized and bullied a girl online for her cutting. I recognize now that I hated myself for also cutting and was taking it out on her, but I still can't believe how cruel I was to her. I hope you can forgive yourself for that. I really do. I hope you can step outside yourself and look at your 13-year-old self um, I mean, it sounds like you are, but um, again, that thing of we can kind of intellectually do it, but doing it with with really a sense of meaning and commitment uh, for me is the only way that I can f- then feel it emotionally. Uh, and I usually have to kind of get quiet to uh, to do that. It's hard when shit's bouncing around in our skulls to deal with stuff that's that's heavy, especially if it has to do with shame or other really intense emotions. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My uncle has mentioned before, I also really get off on the fantasy of taking a young guy's virginity. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my uncle, why? To my mother, why didn't you help me? Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I'm in therapy now. It's brutal, but it feels good to release everything. How do you feel after writing these things down? Okay, it's a bit freeing. Well, I want to give you a fucking high five for walking through all of this horrible, horrible shit again in therapy. And um, and I'm sorry that that's the, the uncle and the mom that you were that you were dealt. Um, it is a fucking double whammy, man, when somebody experiences that as a kid and then the person that they go to who is supposed to protect them, who's supposed to help guide them through the craziness of that, the intensity of that, the loneliness of that, that they make it worse. That is tragic. This is from the love survey filled out by that dork from high school. And they write, I love the time uh, when I drove behind a street washing truck and the suds were flying off the truck around me. It felt like the Wonka wash from Willy Wonka. That's fantastic. Did I ever tell you guys my uh, Gene Wilder story? My uh, my friend Janet Varney runs uh, an awesome comedy festival in San Francisco, Um and it's called Sketchfest. And years ago, I don't know, this is probably 15 years ago, um, they did a screening of Young Frankenstein, uh, which starred Gene Wilder. And she had a Q&A session uh, after. And it was at this big, beautiful theater in the Castro District in uh, San Francisco. And she asked me if I would like to be the person to interview Gene uh, after the movie screening. And I was like, oh, fuck, oh my God, yes. 
Yes, Willy Wonka was my favorite movie. And Young Frankenstein's amazing, and Gene Wilder's fucking amazing. So I got to, I got to sit down and have dinner with him before it, and he could not have been nicer. He, we split his dessert. I'm like, I can't fucking believe I'm sitting here splitting a dessert with Gene fucking Wilder. It was so cool. And then after uh, after the screening. Uh, people were coming up for his his autograph, and somebody gave him a Wonka bar. And uh, after the person left, he said, "You know, I I don't really have any <laughs> use for this. Would you like it?" And I said, "Yes, and I would like you to sign it." And I still have it, a Wonka bar, signed by Gene Wilder. But that is one of my one of my favorite uh, memories. Such a sweet guy. Uh, this is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as creature feature. And they write, on my lower days, I tell myself, you are a fundamentally bad person. And if your loved ones watched you from wake up to sleeping for just one day, they would run from you in disgust. You are fooling everyone. Or worse, everyone knows you're gross and you're the only one who thinks you're fooling anyone. You demand too much of the world. There are plenty of good people who don't get what they need. Why would you be any different? You need to lower your expectations or you will be forever disappointed. On my gentler days, you are trying really, really fucking hard. I'm proud of you for still being here. The world you live in is not humane, but you're here doing everything you can to make it better. That matters. Your sensitivity makes you alive, not weak. You are a good-intentioned person. You are not weak for wanting the world to be better, softer, and more compassionate. It is not wrong to expect more from life. Your desire is not evil, even if Catholicism says it is. You will find love for yourself by loving those like you. Reach out. I love you, little one. We're in this together. Wow. Wow. That is... So beautiful. So beautiful. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, This next Shame and Secret survey was filled out... um by a guy who mentions having conversion disorder. And I had never heard of it, so I looked it up, and I wanted to read um, what conversion disorder is before I read his survey. Uh, 
Conversion disorder, and this is from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, and they write, uh, conversion disorder is a mental condition in which a person has blindness, paralysis, or other nervous system, and in the parentheses, neurologic symptoms that cannot be explained by medical evaluation. Conversion disorder symptoms may occur because of a psychological conflict. Symptoms usually begin suddenly after a stressful experience. People are at risk of conversion disorder if they also have a medical illness, a dissociative disorder, uh, or a personality disorder. Um, The physical symptoms are thought to be an attempt to resolve the conflict the person feels inside. For example, a woman who believes it is not acceptable to have violent feelings may suddenly feel numbness in her arms after becoming so angry that she wanted to hit someone. Instead of allowing herself to have violent thoughts about hitting someone, she experiences the physical symptoms of numbness in her arms. So then, this guy certainly... He calls himself bipolar struggle. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, He says that he has never been sexually abused. Um, uh, And then he writes, when I was 16, I was looking through my dad's drawers looking for some shorts to borrow. He stayed in a separate room to my mom at the time, and I found gay porn in his wardrobe. I kept the secret for two months and ended up breaking up with my girlfriend because of holding on to the secret. I then confronted my dad about it, and he just said it was one of those things and did not think anything of it. For two more years, I spiraled into a deep depression and eating disorder whilst my dad continued to live in the same house as me and my mom. Uh, Before the age of 18, I finally spoke to my mom about it, and the marriage broke up the next day. He uh, says that he has been emotionally abused. He says he's not sure if he's ever been physically abused. Darkest thoughts. Think about having sex in public with older women. Darkest secrets. I I had a conversion disorder, um, manifested physical symptoms, similar to that of a neuromuscular disease, and thought I had one year to live. Lost my ability to walk. Turns out it was all in my head. Through meditation and therapy, I was able to get through the disorder after eight months of my body failing me. It still haunts me and feel ashamed about something I can't understand. Doctors have since explained it to me, but proved to me how unwell I am in the head. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about having sex in public places, rough sex, choking people. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I told my dad this week and asked him why he didn't ever take responsibility for what happened and why did he leave that 16-year-old boy to go through that all by himself. It was a big moment. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? To be stable and functional. To be able to work and live a life I can be proud of. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared them with my psychiatrist. It went okay. It was put back on me about how I felt uh, about it, which didn't give me much of a reference point. How do you feel after writing these things down? It's somewhat liberating, albeit I feel like people will know who I am. Um, Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? That what I went through with my conversion disorder was never malicious, and if I hurt anyone through that time thinking I was so unwell and had a serious neurological illness. I'm sorry. Um, 
I, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And, um, I don't know. I, the, the gay pornography that your dad had, um, you know, you didn't mention, uh, that it was illegal or anything. Um, I would imagine there are people who have marriages where, um, the, it's, it's not a secret, the probably few and far between, whether it's not a secret, um, maybe where the, the husband or the male partner is, uh, bisexual. And, um, I don't know. It, it, um, reading that survey, I think what, ma- what I would like to know more than anything is, you know, what, what was he hiding from his wife? Um, was he being transparent with her? Because to me, if you need a certain type of pornography to get off, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a good partner for somebody. A lot of people would probably disagree with that, but... Um, you know, sexuality is, uh, it's a fluid thing. And I, I just have to imagine that there are, are a lot of people out there where it's not as easy uh, as you like this or you like that, so this is good or this works or this doesn't work. Um, yeah. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself <laughs> La Raza Pamela. <laughs> that is a fucking great name. She identifies as straight. She is in her 30s. She says that she was uh, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she was sexually abused and never reported it. Um and then she describes an event that um, I'm just going to fast forward uh, through the, the kind of the graphic uh, part of it. And uh, essentially what happened was she went to a neighbor's house. They weren't home, but an older teenager was there. And I, I think she was nine at the time. An older teenager was there. And he got really perv- pervy uh, on her and... Uh, she felt like he was going to uh, touch her. So she bolted, and then I'll pick up where she's writing. I bolted for the back door since I knew exactly where it was. I got the door open, and he grabbed a chunk of my hair, and I pulled away so hard he ripped a fistful of my hair out. He began, he has been screaming at me the whole time, he was chasing me through the house, that he was going to fuck me. I ran from that house and into the woods as hard and as fast as I could. I ran to an area of the forest I knew well and hid. I heard him walk by, shouting that he would find me. Thankfully, he never did. I waited until it got dark and took another route through the forest back to the trailer I lived in. I went in and my dad was asleep in his recliner with the TV on, so I went to my room and locked the door. Wow. First of all, where is that fucking guy now? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That is a sick motherfucker. (sighs) 
She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. Uh, she writes, the emotional abuse has probably been the most damaging. Mostly it came from being belittled and neglected. My mom was a classical pianist. She never pursued it due to her anxiety and became a lawyer instead, but she could really play. When she started uh, really getting into drugs, I was about 11. It made her really volatile. She would never allow me to watch her play or touch the piano, so I would sit on the stairs at night and listen. It was just me and her and my maternal grandma in the house, so she would wait until she thought both of us were asleep. I figured out how to play one of her favorite pieces using a piano at school and wanted to surprise her. Moonlight Sonata, just the first movement. I got home from school and said, Mom, look what I can play. Halfway through it, she slammed the piano cover closed, almost catching my fingers. She started screaming at me, What do you think, you're better than me now? You think you have any talent? That piece is easy. Wait until you try something harder. I just stared at her and quietly got up and went into my room. Any positive experiences with abusers? Um, and I'm just going to kind of fast forward through this. Um, her brother, uh, used to used to kind of push uh, her mom's buttons, belching, farting, stuff like that. And she writes, uh, he almost burped in her face once. She raised the belt, and before it made contact, he was running and laughing and taunting her. She was in hot pursuit through the house as he made his way up the stairs to his bedroom, and I was right behind my mom. She jumped on his bed and covered him. He jumped on his bed and covered himself with the comforter, and she just kept hitting the comforter while he laughed. I realized that this was actually kind of a game and started laughing and trying to help her lift the comforter. He was stronger than both of us. After 10 minutes or so, my mom got tired and just sat on the edge of the bed laughing. She knew she wasn't strong enough to actually hurt him. She just wanted to make a point. He finally came out from under the covers with a big grin, and it was the one and only time I can remember the three of us laughing together. He said, thanks for not using the buckle, mom. And she replied, next time I might. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I have terribly violent thoughts that make my stomach hurt. Like my mind creates worst case scenarios that would inflict maximum damage just in random everyday situations. I'm very gentle and protective of animals and children, but sometimes I imagine horrible things people could do to them, like sticking a needle in the top of a baby's head or pushing someone in front of a train. The thought makes me physically ill, but it's a compulsion to imagine the most stomach-churning, gruesome thing that could be inflicted on someone. It's like an emotional bungee jumping. That's, I believe, what people would, uh, what therapists would call pure O or pure obsessive thoughts. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes with Kimberly Quinlan, uh, check those out. Darkest Secrets. Uh, I didn't realize it until I heard your episode on covert incest that once my mom really started taking lots of pills, her behavior crossed a lot of lines. She had me sleeping in the bed with her to keep her company up until the age of 14. She would also take nude pictures of me that my brother later found. She would walk in on me in the shower and would never put her clothes on. I think she actually masturbated in the same bed with me while I read a book before going to sleep. I never realized any of this was abuse until you put a name to it, Paul, so thank you for that. Once, once I had a name, all of the instances tied together and became something I could identify. 
And the, uh, the book that really helped me with that as well, in addition to, to my therapists and support groups, is a book called, uh, I've mentioned a gazillion times on this, is the book Silently Seduced by uh, Dr. Kenneth Adams, who was also a guest on this podcast about uh, six months ago. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. One fantasy I've never told anyone is that I want to come quickly. I just imagine a werewolf or some other kind of wolf-like or dog-like woodland creature raping me. It's gross and awful and always works like a charm. Sharing that makes me feel embarrassed and horrified at myself. Also makes me tear up because I don't feel normal. Uh, you, you know, I think so many of us judge what, what gets us off. And, you know, I so often it's linked to trauma. And that horrifying run through the woods and hiding in the woods. Is it possible that that has something to do with the woodland creature fantasy, your brain's way of trying to cope with what you experienced as a, as a little girl? And even if it has nothing to do with it, you're not hurting anybody, have it. Have a nice orgasm. Be good to yourself. Said the said the pot to the kettle. <laughs> this is from the love survey, and uh, this is filled out by a person who. This is quite a long name. I would really like to see your driver's license. Uh, they call themselves. Every time I see a dog's butthole, I think of Paul's obsession with Gracie's butthole and laugh. Actually, my obsession with with Herbert's butthole, my previous dog. But they write, I love throwing a random outfit together that actually looks good and unexpected, unexpected, unexpectedly becomes one of your go-tos slash favorites. I love the feeling of getting into my car on the first true day of summer. The hot seats, hot stale air that quickly dissipates when you roll down the windows and start driving, and that hot car smell. I love when Paul reads a love survey and one of the listeners has one of the same, same ones as me, or better yet, when I experience another listener's loves in the wild that I had previously never thought of. It makes me feel connected to the podcast and other fans. I love the feeling of doing a full body clean. Every so often, I go to town and have a two-hour bath and clean, exfoliate, condition, lotion, etc., every part of my body, kind of like a little spa day for myself. I love how fresh I feel afterwards. I love that I'm no longer terrified of aging and instead have come to embrace it. Those are fucking awesome. And speaking of awesome, this is a psych ward experience. Um, well, part of it's awesome. And this, you know, I've read thousands of surveys. And I have to say, I think this is one of the most important surveys that I have ever read. And I want to send this to every member of Congress, every government official that has anything to do with budgets for mental health. This is filled out by uh, Kiki. And she was hospitalized uh, four times due to severe suicidal ideation. And 
She writes, I've been placed in two hospitals. My first, third, and fourth hospitalizations were in South Dakota, and my second was in New Hampshire. In South Dakota, my experiences were amazing. They provided solo rooms that have their own bathrooms and showers. When you are on suicide watch, your bathroom stays locked and you have to ask to get in. Once you're off watch, you have open access to your bathroom and can take as many showers as you want, as often as you want. And in parentheses, very therapeutic. They have an exercise room with tons of equipment, a fenced outdoor area they take you out in. It has a pond and fish, very nice. They also have a gym area Uh, that they will do group stuff in. They offer specific DBT, CBT, art, music, and group therapy, individual therapy, and medication management. My bedroom window looked out on the Dakota Plains. In New Hampshire, the, quote, hospital was practically underground, like in a basement. Lighting was poor. Rooms had two to three people, depending on the room. Fluorescent lighting. We weren't allowed anything in our rooms. I couldn't go find a quiet place and read, listen to music, and just be cuddly. There was no escape from people. Showers were locked down at all times. It was less of a hospital than a homeless shelter. They had one group session per day, and we were responsible for the rest. There was a lady who would steal oranges and apples every day, then would come back out later and put the original orange or apple back in the fruit basket and take another. When I complained about it, they told me I couldn't prove it, but I had marked the fruit to watch. I also managed to test positive for cocaine in the ER before I went. Even today, and this was nine years ago, I haven't even used marijuana. And they refused to change my medications because of that. And I was there two weeks and my meds didn't change. I lied my way out by pretending I was okay. I yelled multiple times at a lady who talked to her Uh, voices, question mark, because she was talking very loudly during group and I couldn't hear the leader. It was miserable. After I lied my way out, my mom came from South Dakota and babysat me until I could get back to South Dakota and check in there. Even now, my husband and I have worked out a plan with my therapist and med provider that I will travel to South Dakota to be hospitalized, but I won't be placed there, but I won't be placed here. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kiki. What, what a, uh, what a great example of the, the broad spectrum of care that people can experience. This is from the uh, Love Survey, and this is filled out by <laughs> Grief Pancakes. Ah, oh, I love a nice stack of Grief Pancakes. A little, a little sad maple syrup, a little depression butter. And you know you're taking a nap after you eat grief pancakes. Uh, They write, I love drinking coffee on my deck early morning, watching my chickens peck around the yard. One will find a tasty bit in the grass and make the sweetest happy noises. She'll alert the rest of the flock and they'll be all chirping. I love spending all day making big fluffy rolls or breads or cookies. So when my kids come home, it's the first thing they smell. As soon as they hit the door, they'll close their eyes Take a big sniff and exhale with the biggest smile. I love late nights when I'm up reading alone and my old dog will crawl up into my lap and just melt. I love when my husband gets home from work. He gives me the biggest, warmest hug like he hasn't seen me in ages. Now, those are awesome. Thank you for those. 
And then finally, this is, uh, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman uh, who calls herself Season. And she writes, I sometimes write about difficult emotions and situations in my journal. Sometimes it just helps me let off steam, but sometimes it's like a voice from outside myself intercedes with wisdom that cuts right to the core. Today I was writing about my frustration with hierarchy and power dynamics at w- and work, and, uh, and that voice said, lead and make change from where you are. And I realized that, yes, there are actions I can take even though I am a low-level employee. I'm not powerless, even though it can feel that way sometimes. I'm filled with a feeling of deep gratitude for the guidance of that voice. And at the same time, I'm beaming with confidence on the inside because that voice came from me. It came from all the work that I've done over the years to improve my mental health and relationships. I am so grateful when people share moments like that because not only do they help me, but you know the whole reason I started this podcast in 2011 was because so many things had saved my life and I wanted to share those experiences and the experience of other people um, so that people who are feeling hopeless um, could see that things can change and that there is help out there and that we're not alone. And just in that paragraph that that you wrote it's seemingly like such a small thing but the gift of having that prism that you can refilter reality through and suddenly see what's good rather than focusing on what's bad it it's it's amazing it makes life so completely completely different and yet nothing outside you has changed that to me is is amazing and beautiful i hope you uh enjoyed our episode here our anonymous confessions uh i hope you enjoyed the music that i uh put together i uh, this is very i'm very insecure about uh, playing anything that uh that I recorded, wrote, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm proud of it at the same time, kind of like that survey that I, that I just read. There is a part of me that that wants to feel seen, that feels like the, the musical creativity I have is, is worthy of other people listening to it. And my girlfriend tells me all the time, your stuff is so good. I love listening to it. It's so sweet. It's so pretty, etc. And I of course think to myself well she's saying that because she's my girlfriend but then there's a little part of my voice in my head that goes no she's not lying to you that was a nice song or piece or whatever it is that you put together be proud of it stop apologizing and just put it out there oh that was uncomfortable if you're out there if you're feeling you're feeling stuck or hopeless or alone. Just never forget that you are not. Help is out there. Your family is out there. They may not be blood relatives, but there are people who will get you, understand you, love you, help you, support you, 
and you will be able to do that for other people. And that changed, just like that survey that I read, it changes the prism that we view life through. And that, to me, is that's worth sticking around for. And uh, never forget, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.